0: Patty, Marshall Ferguson, and Louis B. on TSN 1150 Hamilton.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, driver... Oh, no, that's... I I can't do that. Oh, sorry, Guy. Wow.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, drivers and passengers, and all residents of Yes Guy Nation, time for the Monday edition of Yes Guy, No Guy. Go ahead, sir. Thank you very much. Yes Guy, No Guy,
1: the World Cup of Hockey final, is a two-game walk in the park for Team Canada.
2: Um, I'm going to say yes, guy, uh, by, you know, if you would have told us two weeks ago, it would be team Europe against team Canada in the final, you would have gotten a yeah. wow. <laughs> wow. And that, but that doesn't really, you know, I mean, team Europe is good an emerging team, but geez, no sizzle. Is there?
1: Yeah, there's not a lot there for me. Like, I would have loved to see that Russia game, the amount of goals that were scored in the semifinal, that in a three-game series, maybe because of the history as well, you agree, that would, that yeah. would have just felt more exciting. Well,
2: but that's where we got to once the Americans were eliminated. I mean, yeah. it was set up for that, and it didn't happen, and so you had to realize, and, you know, we joked about it, but it did come to happen, the Team Europe... Squeezes by Sweden a, with an overtime win. And, and that's, I mean, that's the nature of it. It's not unlike sometimes it happens at the World Juniors. And yeah. not, uh, well, it can happen in the Olympics, too. I mean, the nature of these tournaments is if somebody is eliminated, the rest of it sort of falls apart. Uh, yes, guy, no, guy, the World Cup of Hockey
1: was bad for hockey in the United States. The television ratings have been really, really bad. And because they weren't involved, like you're talking about, Jim, it makes me wonder if it almost
2: hurt the reputation of the sport in a market where they're trying to grow and expand it. Oh, absolutely, yes, Guy. I mean, I think that's, that was the whole point of it was to increase hockey-related revenue, and I don't think you can get any more hockey-related revenue out of Canada. I, I think it was aimed at the U.S., and epic fail because the uh, the Americans just were not competitive. Yeah, they couldn't put much together there. A yes, Guy, No,
1: Guy, farewell tours, and I asked this because of Paul Pierce. Like, does every player have to have...
2: A farewell tour, yes guy, no guy to them. Uh, no guy. I don't. I think you know we were talking about this earlier, the Arnie stuff earlier this year. Gordy Howe and Muhammad Ali. Mm-hmm. It, you know, this goes way back into a much more simpler time, and how these guys um, they didn't. You know, I'm not going to say they went out and created the template that we have now, but they created the need for what we have now in terms of you want to know everything about. Uh, various individuals because they're so uh, fascinating and, and intriguing to watch athletically and they have some interesting things to say. Uh, so I'm going to say that you know it, it can happen, but but for everybody to count on that, I mean, what's his farewell to Toronto going to go like? Yeah, it's nobody
1: cares. Like Paul there's Pierce's
2: final game in Toronto. Boo. You <laughs> know
1: <laughs> no, what I did love though while we're talking about farewell tours, uh, David Ortiz. They were supposed to do something for him in Tampa Bay yesterday. Yes, and he declined and said, "Can we please have a moment of silence for Jose Fernandez and just completely forget about me?" and they showed the shot of Ortiz crying with his hat over his mouth. To to me, outside of baseball, when you want to talk about a guy who understands what it's like to not be from the United States and to make your way here and make a living and be very successful, that was a crazy moment.
2: It was. Um, I, you know, again, uh, flipping around on, on Friday night, I lucked into the Vince Scully because uh, it was the start of his final weekend uh, in L.A. And and they they had this this huge ceremony. All his family was there. His wife was there. Um, and Kevin Costner got up and, and did this uh, this long routine uh, paying tribute to him. And it was, you know, I think it lasted 20, 25 minutes before the game. Mm-hmm. It was really interesting and intriguing. You know, I, I always liked that that stuff because, you know, really, literally, quite frankly, in broadcasting, you, you don't get a farewell tour. You get the uh, the phone calls. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it was nice to see. Yes guy, no guy,
1: there could have been a better home ending for Vince Scully's broadcasting career than a walk-off homer. There could have been a better one? Yeah.
2: No guy. No guy. <laughs> the, the, the fast of the abrupt no guy.
1: Yeah. And I actually love that this happened because we talked last week about the fact that he can get out of the way yeah. so much and just let the moment carry itself. And he loves to be able to do that. And when
2: that home run got hit, the crowd was so loud, he had no choice but to get out of the way. Well, let, let me. I'm going to put it to you this way. If you do something for 67 years... You obviously have the secret because if you got in the way, they would have told you to get out of the way. Yeah. And so that was, I mean, that's really what he brought to the table, uh, you know, that, that sort of that, that grace and class to, to understand the event was the event and, and he was participating in it, not he, he wasn't the event. And he knew that right from the start.
1: The uh, Vince Gulley story as well, when you think about how long he has been there and the way that they interacted with him throughout the remainder of the season, I mean, that's that's the one farewell tour that I am all in on for. Uh, yes yeah. guy, no guy, hotel chain mergers.
2: Oh, why, 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 guy? Why are you asking, guys? there some sort of a story here. I'm just—I want to ask you, and then I'll get into my little my little story here. Uh, you know, mergers are part of the world we live in, and you know, you have, you have to sort of uh, unwillingly have to participate in them, or you, or the guy who's getting bought out gets wiped.
1: <laughs> um, okay. The reason I bring this up is because when I got to Regina, I walk in, and I just got one of those Starwood Preferred oh. Guest hotel oh, yeah. reward, whatever those. I'm I, sorry, sir.
2: We don't honor that yeah, anymore. Yeah.
1: I, I don't even know. <laughs> I, I don't even know what this card is yet. I just got it like a month ago when we traveled somewhere I think we were out in Vancouver maybe when I got it so I, I picked it up I'm all excited about it everywhere we go now I'm all excited to tell them my number and stuff and I walk in and they're like oh no we merged with Marriott yesterday yeah so what happened to the points yeah I have no idea I don't yeah. know I barely knew I had the card and now the card doesn't matter oh. so that's that's why I ask. okay, guy. I knew there was a personal agenda there. (laughs) Personal (laughs) guy. Always is. Uh, Yes guy, no guy. Rex Ryan's obsession with Bill Belichick. He started his press conference (laughs) today. He he started it today (laughs) by saying and mumbling, you know, you'll get the the injury report on Wednesday.
2: He was trying to do his best, Belichick. And it seems like it's kind of unhealthy at times. Well, I mean, doesn't that, I mean, doesn't that, you hate to say it, but but if he's your coach and he's behaving like that, um, I go back to Harbaugh and uh, who was the guy? Schwartz. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, and so from that moment on, I had no use for, for Schwartz because he he just he, he couldn't he couldn't figure out how to shake the guy's hand or go up to him after a game and and then when he went back to Detroit with the Bills, he, he acted like a goofball. I mean, you just hate for your head coach to be second to somebody, and, and that's sort of what he's portraying here. So I don't have any use for it.
1: Did you uh, get a chance to see your your boy uh, Jim Schwartz fist pumping and screaming on the Philadelphia sideline when they got a stop on fourth and fourteen? Yes I did. Oh man, that how great was that. That guy is like quietly putting together one of the better defenses in the NFL, and everybody's going, yeah, Carson Wentz, Carson Wentz, but you see Schwartz walking up and down the sidelines screaming and fist-pumping. I'm like, that might be the biggest story in Philadelphia.
2: And that's a classic football story where the guy gets the reins for a team, drives it into the ground, and then you find out he's a good coordinator. Yep. And that goes on all the time, doesn't it? There's no
1: shame in being a great coordinator.
2: I always no. I always keep saying that about
1: football. It's Everybody looks at the best coordinators and goes, that hey, guy's going to be a great head coach. They're different skill sets. It's oh. not the
2: same thing. You know, if you, if you had to map out a career – uh, and it, it's obvious that at some point you have to try being the head coach but unless you're in you know the top echelon of head coaches that's going to be a frustrating existence wouldn't it be better just to be a great coordinator
1: yeah i would love to be i mean you can hide behind the scenes you don't have to do all that much media you just get to coach football and have a family and enjoy life and stay in one place for a long time like dick lebeau when he was in pittsburgh as the defensive coordinator for however many years he had it made like he had yeah. a, he had a hometown where he could grow up with his kids and Just coordinate the defense and lead them to Super Bowls. And I think that's – it's one of the more underrated things in football that I love. It's just a great coordinator – Who's content with being a great coordinator? I understand the pay bump when you become a head coach, sure. but there's so much more that comes with being
2: a head coach than just going. Yeah, I'm just going to run the team. Okay, let me reverse the yes guy, no yep. guy. Jacques Chapdelaine uh, calling the plays for Montreal instead of AC. No guy. Yeah, I, I, that's got uh, that's just got a bad vibe to it. Doesn't and the, the fact that the Alouettes announced that over the weekend
1: by saying, "Yeah, in case you guys are wondering, here's what's happening with the offensive play calling." I understand they're trying to be transparent, but that could have been a simple answer in a presser where Chaplin goes, yeah, I'll take care of it. But they released it in a way that was like, we need to change this because Calvillo is not doing a good enough job. Like that was the vibe that I got while reading all those stories and headlines over the weekend. And that's just wrong because you now have to, and this is just when you think Montreal can't do anything stranger than they already have. Your long-term plan has been deemed to be Anthony Calvillo as the head coach, whether he's ready sooner rather than later or not. Now you've taken power and decision-making and learning away from the guy who's your long-term plan in order for your short-term fix, which says to me it might be a longer-term fix with Chaplin
2: than we realize in this spot. Well, and again, we don't know what the owner said, right? So I I think we were all marching along that AC was eventually going to get that job, and and this guy was a stopgap. But for all we know, the owner gave him the reins to the franchise and said, if you can turn it around, you can stay. Mm. Yeah, that's
1: true. It, it's it, I don't understand what's happening in Montreal, but I am glad that they are the last team on the schedule for the Ticats because if Hamilton needs a victory at the end of the season and Montreal is trying to play spoiler... I would love to see Montreal more than any other team, I think, in that spot.
2: Well, and don't you feel that that's the way it's going to go? Yeah. You know, the sample size is big enough now. This is going to be a negotiable season for the Ticats. I think we have all a, a lot of faith in what's going to happen, but but, but it's going to be no gimmies here. It's going to go right down to the end.
1: Uh, yes guy, no guy. It is media day today, and we are checking in, actually, with Raptors Republic managing editor Blake Murphy coming up in about five to six minutes' time. But uh, with media day happening around the National Basketball Association today, Yes guy, no guy seeing pictures of Kevin Durant and Steph Curry together. It's weirding me out right now on my Twitter timeline.
2: Yeah, where do you see them on the court together? Oh, that will weird you out even more because there won't be any weakness with that team. It is
1: strange to see them, to, those two together. I, I don't know what it's going to look like. I'm sure it's going to be spectacular, but, man, it's its crazy to think that he was in Oklahoma City for as long as he was, and all of a sudden now he's like, oh, I'll just join the best team. And, and you know when free agency, it happens, and we go, yeah, it's. That's cool. That's a good spot for him. But really, when you see it tangibly, the guy in the jersey for the first time—that's always the first time you see him in the uniform. Where you go, really? Wow, that's going to yeah. happen.
2: Yeah, that's a really guy. I'm going to say yes guy to that. It is a weird scene, but you know, if you're a fan, if you're an OKC, OKC Thunder fan, uh, this, this is always a bad sign when when you let somebody like that walk just because uh, you should have done the work to make sure that that never was even a possibility. But yeah. That happened.
1: Uh, My last one for you here, talking about NBA Media Day. Uh, Yes Guy, No Guy, LeBron James saying that he respects Colin Kaepernick's anthem protest, but will not join the movement. So he's saying he respects it. He's deciding to not say he agrees with it. He's not making any type of political statement. He's doing a little bit of PR dancing sideways, and he won't join the movement. Yes Guy, No Guy, to his decision to say, yeah, that's great for Colin, and then dance away from it.
2: Um, I'm going to say yes, Guy, just because um, what Kaepernick did just became a a distraction to the actual cause. Unfortunately, there was no way to know that, and I think the actual cause has to be dealt with.
1: There was a great interaction, actually, after last week's Week 2 in the NFL game between San Francisco and whoever they were playing, and it was Chip Kelly in the locker room doing his media availability, and a reporter is like blatantly pushed like you know when you're in a scrum and some guy you can tell is just trying to get in a fist fight with a coach that's louis generally isn't oh it? yeah always always but he so this guy is coming out <laughs> and says uh chip do you think that he's become a distraction and Chip goes, N- no, Colin hasn't been a distraction to us at all. And he goes, okay, well, I think he's been a distraction. And Chip, oh. Chip goes, okay, good for you. And the guy goes, I know he's been a distraction because I was in the locker room after the game last week. Were you in the room? Chip goes, uh, yeah, I was. I'm always in the locker room. I'm around them more than you ever are. And the guy goes, okay, so we disagree about that. Oh, and, yeah, yeah, So he's like, we oh. have, he goes, we have a fundamental disagreement. I understand that. But do you think that he should stop talking about this issue? And Chip, just as cool-headed as ever, just goes, I think Colin should always say what he's thinking because he's a very informed, very smart young man who knows a lot about these topics and wants to create change. And the reporter just kind of puts his tail between his legs and goes, thank you.
2: (laughs) <laughs> I, I was expecting you to say and then Chip turned to the individual and said who are you and where do you work?
1: And apparently it's like a long time they played it on the DP show a couple of days ago uh, late last week apparently it's some long time journalist in San Francisco that Chip Kelly has to deal with day in day out so he's grown so tired of his antics that he just decides to treat him as calmly and normally as possible and give straightforward answers
2: Like tortsy and Brooksy.
1: Yeah except if Brooksy just was so out there that Tortsey was like I'm just going to give you every answer you want and just be honest with you because we've done nothing wrong That's what I'm saying, Brooksy. Yeah, I'm interested about that. Oh, I lied. I lied. Uh, Brad Marshang just got signed to an eight-year, $49 million deal. Good value? Yes guy, no guy?
2: Um, I'm going to say, I hate to say this, I'm going to say no guy. People are going to react, I don't like eight years. Eight years just scares the heck out of me. Yeah. Especially for a guy. It's worth the money. I've I've said this a million times. Give him whatever you want to give him, three years, five years max, and boom. It's better for both. You can always sign another contract. Yeah, that's what and, and I never I just, I, it's But it's better for both because now, now you're locked in, and, and if there's any, you know, the nature of the game, it's got nothing to do with the individual. The nature of the game is your body breaks down, and you're being paid a salary that gets in the way with a salary cap, and that's that's what's eventually going to happen here. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you. I don't know why you would ever want to lock a guy for that long, and
1: it's if you're that scared of your future for the player, then maybe you know something the team doesn't. If you're that scared. Uh, as the team that you're going to lose that player, why not sign him to that three, five-year deal and then just gain his trust and then just keep him there? Like, it it seems so straightforward and simple. I don't know. Maybe it's a good question for Glenn Grunwald tomorrow when you're back in here, Jim. uh, Jim will see, but uh, I'm not sure whether or not uh, we will see a deal like that in the NBA anytime soon because I mean the new CBA that's come in with these guys they're making a bunch of money and a lot of them it's long term but even LeBron like he yeah, but they got a 5 year limit don't they Yeah but he wants to sign like a 1 2 year deal because he wants to hold every team hostage so it's almost like the trend in the NBA is I want max money and I want short term and the guys in the NHL nobody has the max money and they
2: all want long term Well yeah but the the term is is more crippling in, in the uh, NHL because there's no TV revenue mm-hmm. to jack the rates, right? Yep,
1: and that's the the whole kind of crux of the CBA at this point for the NHL, right? Is they yep. they, they don't have that massive. Inflammation, which makes you wonder why it's so difficult to get the lockout solved a couple of years
2: ago. But Well, uh, and, and these guys are not, it's not uh, he would be uh, unrestricted anyway. But even the restricted free agents, it's not like there's a bunch of offer sheets out there. Yeah, that's true. Uh, are you locked in a room by yourself? I, I'm not locked in, but I'm in a room by myself. Where are you exactly? I'm behind the control room. For overdrive. Oh, so you're you're actually watching? I can actually w- just bear with me while the mic makes a noise. Can you just uh, shoot a water gun into
1: into overdrive I'm, right now? I'm looking
2: now? at O Dog who's yawning. <laughs> Classic.
1: <laughs> that's amazing. All right, that's good. Uh, what coming up in just a minute? Here we do have Raptors Republic managing editor Blake Murphy, who just gave us a shout out on Twitter. You can follow him on Twitter at Blake Murphy odc is he will get us all filled in on the happenings down at the uh, acc and of course at the uh, biosteel training center for the toronto raptors who head in their season we talked earlier uh this past week about the idea that they will have over or under
2: 50 wins what do you think blake says to that oh he, he would be over 50 you think so yeah by how much Oh, I think, we're, you know, I think where they've been the last couple of years is where they're going to be for at least the next three or four unless something ridiculous happens. I, I, I just see this as part of their run, and that, that wouldn't be the question. The question would be how deep can you go in the playoffs on a yearly basis. Yeah, it's going to
1: be interesting to see what Blake has to say. We will do that in a couple of minutes. After him, we'll have TSN senior hockey writer Frank Saravelli. Then it's time for the Guy Awards. That's what everyone's really here for. Uh, let's get a traffic update. Here he is Rob Westgate. Big trouble spot still on the go. That's
0: a collision on Upper James near Rymel. It's causing big headaches, according to traffic spotters out there. So just a heads up. The good news is on the Lincoln-Alexander Parkway, we had an issue eastbound approaching the Upper Sherman area. That has cleared away. Traffic is looking much improved there. The 403, the Link, the Red Hill, and the QEW right now just dealing with afternoon volume. No major trouble spots. Get Windmobile's $40 plan plus 2 gigs of bonus data. Yes, that's 5 gigs of data. Only 35 bucks a month for 10 months now till October I'm Rob Westgate. Your early traffic watch continues.
1: Now, time for a sports center update. Here is Louis B.
3: Thank you, Marsh. The Maple Leafs open their preseason on the East Coast. The Sports Center update brought to you by Hamilton Public Health. Rabies is real. Avoid contact with wild animals and stray cats and dogs. Never try to feed, touch, or move animals to new locations. What are you laughing at? I know that's not funny. That's very serious. But getting me <laughs> it to read it seems ahead like
1: of common sense, though, guys.
3: Just be smart, okay? Do not pick up stray animals. <laughs> The Toronto Maple Leafs will take on the Ottawa Senators in Halifax tonight in their first action of the 2016-17 preseason. First overall pick, Austin Matthews, not in the lineup, nor will defenseman Morgan Riley be. The state in Toronto following Team North America's elimination in the World Cup. Leafs head coach Mike Babcock won't make the trip either. He's preparing for Canada to open their best of three World Cup final against Canada's arch-rival, a team made up of Europeans that don't include Sweden, Finland, or the Czech Republic. Game one goes tomorrow night. Staying with hockey, Bulldogs forward Matt Luff has been named OHL Pioneer Player of the Week. Luff scored four times, including a hat-trick to go along with a pair of assists, leading the Bulldogs to a 2-0 start. Late last week, Luff also signed a three-year entry-level deal with the LA Kings. Bulldogs back at it Wednesday in Owen Sound. And the sports world still reeling over the trio of deaths that hit Sunday. Stampeders defensive back, 23-year-old Mylon Hicks, was killed following a nightclub shooting in Calgary. Golf icon Arnold Palmer passed away at the age of 87. And 24-year-old Miami Marlins pitcher Jose Fernandez died in a boating accident. The Marlins and Mets begin a three-game series today in Miami. Mets manager Terry Collins says his team has to play to win despite all the sorrow over the death of Fernandez. I
4: know they'll be very, very respectful, but there's still a lot at stake. As I said before, you know, I know I know Jose Fernandez well enough to know the one thing he wants is the game played, and the game played right. Because that's what he how he went about it.
3: Marlins canceled their game yesterday against the Braves. You're listening to the home of Hamilton Tire Cats. This is TSN 1150 Hamilton.
0: You're listening to Taddy and Marsh on TSN 1150. Or streaming online at tsn1150.ca.
1: Welcome back, TSN 1150 Hamilton. It is Taddy and Marsh, and I've been talking about all of the strange scenes that I've seen uh, going throughout my Twitter timeline today with Kevin Durant standing next to Steph Curry standing next to just about everybody, it seems like. And I also saw a couple of quotes about Corey Joseph talking about people blowing smoke up his butt, about how the Raptors are going to do this. There's a lot of weird stuff going on, and I don't understand it, so we're going to bring in Blake Murphy of Raptors Republic right now to try and help me. Blake, what is that quote from Corey Joseph? What happened?
4: I actually don't know. I wasn't scrumming up before (laughs) when he said that. Of all the things to ask me, that's like the one scrum that I missed. I uh, I was talking to someone else. Um, The context that I got from it, um, Josh Blumenberg, for you guys, tweeted out the, the full quote. And I think it's maybe just a matter of, you know, the Raptors played so well last year, Corey Joseph's coming off a career year. Everyone's so appreciative of him, you know, coming out for the Canadian team that, you know, maybe he was just trying to not lower expectations, but, let everyone know that, you know, he hasn't grown completely coming off what was probably his best season.
2: Well, and, and that's the expectation with the franchise. They, they kept getting better by the year. They went into the Eastern Final and won two from a team that won the NBA championship. And so the, the bar is there. What gets in the way of the Raptors not getting as far or with as many wins this season?
4: Well, the big thing to, to keep in mind is that team development isn't really linear. You know, the Warriors are kind of an exception to how they kind of jumped a couple of wins each season for each season for a couple of seasons in a row. Um, the Raptors are at a spot right now where maybe last year is the toughest jump to take, but this next one is, is maybe the toughest or second toughest, too, where they have to go from fringe contender to legitimate contender. Uh, the unfortunate thing for the Raptors is even if they get the internal development that they're hoping for, uh, the Cavaliers still exist, and LeBron James is still very much in his prime, as he showed in the playoffs last year. Um, so the Raptors are going to have to find, you know, a lot of ways to improve um, if they're going to beat the Cavaliers this year in the playoffs. Which I think, you know, they, they didn't come flat out and say it, with the exception of Kyle Lowry, uh, but that's kind of their goal for this season. Um, and the the important thing to remember with the Raptors too is that, you know, they are still very young. Um, but the East got a little bit, maybe not better, but the talents better distributed. Um, so they're not going to measure themselves by a win total. You, you ask around today at Media Day. What the goal is for this season, or how they measure success. And it's not like years before where it's win a playoff series or win X number of games. It's, uh, you know, the win total doesn't mean much. And and almost to a man, everyone kept talking about, uh, you know, the Raptors' goal is to be the very best Raptors team um, come game 82. So they want to be in the best spot entering the playoffs, whatever that means for for the regular season record.
1: Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to say Blake Murphy joins us from Raptors Republic. What uh, level of you know, importance do you place on the Olympics and the effect that it had on those two guys, DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry?
4: I think it can only help, you know, Kyle Lowry made mention of the fact that he didn't get to do some of the um, individual prep that he would have liked to do or did last summer. Um, You know, I I don't think that's going to have a major impact. And the way that those two guys talked glowingly about the experience and playing with those other players and getting instruction from those coaches and, and then the things that they can kind of bring back from their to help pass on to, you know, again, with a very young roster with a lot of young guys who look up to these guys, um, I think it'll only help. You know, maybe maybe this start is a little bit slower depending on how the off-season schedule changed. Uh, you know, Jonas Valanciunas uh, also played in the Olympics. So uh, I, I guess we'll see from that perspective. But, but if you're asking if, you know, I'm worried about any fatigue or anything like that, I think the nice thing about the Raptors, especially at the guard spot, is that they're going to have the depth where, you know, if Lowry or DeRozan... Feel fatigue at any point or start the season a little slower. They want to ease them along. Um, the guard depth is there. You, you even have guys waiting on playing time, so they'll be able to ease up if need
1: be. Jared Sollinger has been very vocal on Twitter since he became a part of this team and, and he's one of the interesting keys, I think, to the season. Blake, I'm sure you agree at this point, looking at you know leave, leaving from the Bismack-Biombo kind of era, if you want to call it that, and getting into what he'll offer to the Raptors. Has um, there any conversation that came up at Media Day about anything that he's had to say on Twitter recently?
4: Yeah, uh, this is something that came up with, uh, a lot of the players, uh, especially the team leaders, you know, Kyle Lowry, DeMar deRozan, Dwayne Casey, Messiah Jury were all asked about it, uh, and then Jared Sullinger as well. Not just Sullinger's, um, tweeting or, you know, Terrence Ross is a guy who's posted Instagram posts before, uh, but just the general, um, you know, where, what athletes have been doing of late and what the expectation might be for the Raptors. And they didn't speak in specifics, but, um, you know, it was kind of a unanimous course that, everyone realizes that they have this big platform and they want to use that for positive change. And, you know, even if they're a little removed from it being in Canada, every, well, every, almost everyone on that team is from the U.S. and has friends and family in the U.S. And, you know, it's not an out-of-sight, out-of-mind thing or uh, a situation where hearing the Canadian national anthem is going to change their approach. These are guys who realize they have a platform and, and want to try to find a way to use it to inspire positive change and keep the conversation going. I think that's great. Um, Sollinger was asked about his Twitter usage and he basically said that, look, he has a large following and he wants to try to say these things and have a voice. And then when he gets, you know, the the dummies who say ignorant things back or or don't use great logic or even hateful, you know, that's a chance for him to, you know, educate or at least show people that there are still people out there who think that way. And, you know, I think that's great. These guys have a real platform and and a loud voice. And, you know, I, I really respect that they're, Putting their reputations at, at risk, or they're, you know, they're taking the stance to, to you know, take a stand like this. I, I think it's great that they're using that platform.
2: Blake, want to squeeze one in before we run out of time? JV last year, I think this was the first year that we didn't worry about him reaching the next level because he did with the new front court configuration. What do you expect out of him this year?
4: Yeah, that's an interesting question. I asked him almost exactly that too, and he couldn't he couldn't really put an answer on it because you know he's in a spot now where. He is maybe the third most important player on the team overall. But offensively, you know, their starting lineup with Jared Sollinger likely to start a power forward position. It's a lot of guys who want to touch the ball. And it's a lot of guys um, you know, with higher usage than Jonas Valanciunas traditionally gets. Uh, but it's also a lot of guys who can really pass the ball. They're going to have four guys on the floor around JV um, who can pass it. And they talked about how Jared Sollinger is going to go to uh, the corners a lot more than he did in Boston, which should help keep the space open for Jonas Valanciunas. Um, so you know his focus is probably going to be on the defensive end as they tweak a few things with the loss of Bismack biombo and a little less foot speed in the front court. Um, Dwayne Casey mentioned transition defense as a potential uh, sticking point. They're going to have to figure out a way around. Um, so Valanciunas' focus will be you know primarily on the defensive end. Um, but like he told me today, you know he he knows what he can do well on offense. The team knows what he can do well, but he has to wait for his touches. Uh, you know within the context of the offense. The so one thing I think you could see is um, Valanciunas playing a little bit more with the second unit. Um, and what that would mean is Jared Sullinger sliding over to the five for some minutes beside Patrick Patterson, um, and then Valanciunas could help prop up those bench units. And that could kind of get around, you know, if Lucas Noguera stumbles at the gate in the backup center spot, go small a little bit more, have Jonas kind of prop up those second units. That's the way to get him a few more touches. Uh, but again, I think his focus is going to be primarily improving on the
1: defensive end. Interesting adjustment there if they do decide to go a little bit smaller throughout the uh, the lineup. Thank you, as always, Blake. We'll catch up with you soon. Thanks for
4: having me
1: on. There he is, Raptors Republic Managing Editor Blake Murphy, breaking down all things Valanciunas with us there at the end. There's a lot to talk about with the Raptors. We'll also have Jack Armstrong on as a regular moving forward, so looking forward to getting Jack back in the full, but right now...
0: This is TSN 1150 Hamilton, and you're listening to Taddy and Marsh on the home for Hamilton sports.
1: Oh, you were nervous, weren't you, Jim? You didn't know what was happening.
2: I mean, at the board.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, we got it. And welcome back. This is Taddy and Marsh on TSN 1150 Hamilton. It is uh, nice to be back in studio here after a weekend out in Regina, taking in the Tiger Cats. We got lots of time left in the show to be able to break that down. Jim, unfortunately, leaves us at 6 p.m. as he is in Toronto heading up the Leafs pregame coverage as they're going to be playing out in Halifax this evening. If you want to hear Jim at 6 o'clock, and all things Leafs, you can switch over to TSN 1050. We remain here, TSN 1150 Hamilton, until 7 p.m. And then we get into uh, Bulldogs this week, with Stu Kernan, and we also have the uh, Monday Nighter coming up. It's going to be an 8.30 kickoff tonight, uh, and looking forward to that game as well. Right now, though, let's bring in TSN senior hockey writer Frank Saravelli. Frank, how are you today? I'm um, doing well, guys. How are you? I'm good. Are you on uh, on Carson Wentz Island yet? Have you bought the uniform? Are you excited about what's going on?
5: <laughs> no, but uh, I, I, you know, I didn't actually catch much of the game yesterday, but I can tell you that Carson Wentz fever is alive and well in Philly. Um, the jerseys are just flying off the shelf, you, as you said. I think he's actually the number one selling jersey in the league in the last three weeks, which is incredible. We were talking yesterday about an FCS quarterback that – you know, going up against Ben Roethlisberger yesterday, you're thinking, he, you know, Roethlisberger is the one that's going to school him. It seemed like Roethlisberger was on the, the guy that was on the ground all day.
1: Yeah, it, it was just textbook. It was crazy to see. Uh, you've been working, of course, on the World Cup of Hockey. Uh, and I love the tweet that you had earlier today at Frank Ceravelli. Uh You said, gold medal count, Team Canada 55, Team Europe 0. What is going to happen in this best of three?
5: Uh, I don't think it's going to be particularly close. Yeah. I mean... I think the issue is that Team Europe very well could win one game, but to beat Canada twice in a span of three games, I just I don't see it happening. I think the skill disparity is too big. Uh, Canada's shown that it's been too big. And I think the other issue for, for Team Europe is that Canada is a team that doesn't take any of these teams lightly, uh, whether it's Latvia that they're playing or Belarus or any of these teams over the years they've always come to play. And I think that's kind of the issue that some of these other teams ran into is that Sweden probably didn't respect Europe like they should. The U.S. absolutely didn't. So those things caught up to those teams, and that's the reason why Team Europe is playing in the final.
2: Frank, as, as an overview, because it is Team Europe, and I'll do respect to them, but I mean Team Europe and Canada is not a, a scintillating final in terms of, you know, interest. How does this play out?
5: Um. I think that's been part of the problem, too, for this World Cup of Hockey in terms of tickets and empty seats is that Team Canada has been too good. There's been really no buzz around it because, uh, I mean, think back to Saturday's game against Russia. This is a knockout game on Canadian soil, one game elimination against a team that, a country that Canada has so much history playing against, and no one really. You know, everyone was sitting on their hands inside the ACC, not out of nerves, just just because there wasn't much to cheer for. It's just the usual Canada dominance, and I think rather than being excited about that, the only way they really got into it was when Team Russia took a lead, uh, a stunning lead there late in the second period.
2: Yeah, I mean, really, when you go over all of it, uh, if you t- if you take the Team North America performance out, you're left with a lot of uh, okay, but it didn't really it didn't really push the game forward, did it?
5: No, and I think that's been the most disappointing thing. Is it's, it's funny to say that Canada's been too good. I mean, I, I don't think people would have been complaining about that previously. And I think what we're seeing now is Canada's run that they're on since the 2010 Vancouver Olympics and how methodically they won in Sochi. It was really, as Team Europe coach Ralph Kruger said, a work of art, how well they played there. Um, what we're seeing now is sort of the payoff for all those World Juniors that Canada won in the mid-2000s, that string, I think, what was it, five in a row that they won? What we're seeing now is all those players from those teams that learned how to win then contribute and do the same thing on the best-on-best international senior men's world level, and that's that's an incredible thing to see. It's really a generational gap that Canada has over every other country, and I think What we're going to see in the future is that kind of equal out and balance out again, but it's going to take a little while because we're seeing some other countries step up and win these World Junior Tournaments in the last handful of years, and that's going to catch up in the next Olympics or the next World Cup, whenever that is, in 2020, or the next international tournament in 2022. So what we're seeing now is Canada's run of dominance that has really been unparalleled in in hockey.
1: If we're looking at this after the World Cup of Hockey is done and somehow, some way, Europe has been able to knock off Canada in two of three and everybody's stunned and none of it makes sense, why did they win?
5: They won because of Jaroslav Halak. They won because of Ralph Kruger's intimate knowledge and familiarity with Team Canada having served and been in their inner sanctum. Working as part of their brain trust in 2014, and they won because they were probably the more hungry team. Now I say all those things uh, kind of tongue in cheek, uh, kind of going along with your guys because I can't see any of that happening. Yeah. But uh, I, you know, I uh, Yaroslav Halak has been great at times. We've seen, asked the 2010 Washington Capitals what he can do um, in a playoff series you know stopping 53 shots almost repeatedly throughout the series to upend the president's trophy winners in 2010 and all of a sudden the canadians are faced with this difficult decision of whether to keep halak or keep carrie price and they obviously made the right choice but he's been really good in this tournament once again after quite a few injury riddled years and ralph kruger someone that knows mike babcock and is one of the few coaches in the game that could match him wit for wit and The other part is that stat that you read earlier is that Team Canada has 55 gold medals in international play on the World Junior, World Championship and Olympic stage. That also includes the two World Cups that were won by Joe Thornton and Jay Bowmeister. And Team Europe has zero. They've never won. None of their players have ever won a gold medal on a major international stage. Only a few of them have ever made it to a final. This has been sort of a pipe dream for them to finally get a chance to play with the big dogs at this level uh, rather than some of their, you know, usual country teams with Slovenia or Slovakia or some of these other teams that really just don't have nearly a chance other than in their dreams. And, I think that's certainly going to motivate this Team Europe team.
1: Ralph Kruger is such an interesting story to me, not just because he made the switch from ice hockey to association football and all of that, being the director of Southampton in February of 2014, and, and there's a lot of different other business parts of the man that he is, but because if he has this team on the verge of winning the World Cup of Hockey, is there somebody out there crazy enough to reach out and try to pull him back into the NHL?
5: It wouldn't be crazy. It would be smart. I mean, this is a guy that was handed a obviously flawed Oilers team, and they were actually somewhat competitive at times during that lockout-shortened season. He only got 48 games to show himself behind an NHL bench, and look at what he's done with this team. Look at all the success that he's had in his life and his career. He thinks about things in a different way. He has his team buying in and ready to, prepared to play. I mean, look at... Um, going back a year from now, back to last September, he meets with Zidane O'Chara in New York for a a meeting just to get together and meet each other and figure out a plan moving forward. And he was already stressing then the buy-in that was needed in order to have this team be successful. He didn't take this just to get back in the mix and possibly land another job somewhere. He got it because he took this job because it was a project. This was a team that uh, obviously never existed before, has no promise to exist again, and they don't have nearly the scouting budget that Team Canada or Team USA has to go and see all these players to pick their team. They didn't have the scouting staff or the depth of knowledge or anything like that. He puts this team together with Miroslav Shatan, and they've come to play. They've been, you know, to to come out of the gate and top USA in that game, uh, you know, that afternoon game on Saturday to open the tournament, it was incredible to see. I mean, they were, that team bought in from the beginning, and it took them losing by a few games, uh, nine to one in four periods, in fact, um, against Team North America in order for everyone to kind of snap to attention and and figure out what they needed to do to win.
2: I mean, at the very least, Frank, somebody could get him USA citizenship and he could take (laughs) over the American team.
5: Oh man, he, they could really use someone like him to, to really set up their program because that's what they're lacking at the moment, in my opinion, is direction and figuring out where this the entire organization goes from here and who, the, you know, who they should hire in, in terms of a coaching staff and a scouting staff and management. And he's, the funny thing is that Ralph Kruger is doing all those things as chairman of the board of Southampton FC in the English Premier League, not even in hockey,
2: uh, what do you think happens with the USA team? Uh, is there a sort of a divide between the people that have the the power or the position now, as as opposed to some guys who have just retired as players? Is there sort of an unwillingness to hand the baton over?
5: Yeah, it's uh, if that's what the case is, then that's insane. I mean, this they've long gone at this and and not had success. They haven't won a best on best tournament since the 1996 World Cup it's the only one they've ever won and they've gone in a backwards direction this it's time to hand that baton over and give it to guys like billy garen who was on that world cup team and is an assistant gm in pittsburgh and the Brian leeches and these other smart smart players and people who are you know in management roles around the league the paul sentens of the world who's the assistant gm in nashville these guys are obviously willing to do it from my conversations that I've had with them, but they've never been tapped. The U.S. team and organization, USA Hockey in general, needs a breath of fresh air. Uh, what they've gone through there and the people that are still making the decisions is frankly mind-boggling that Jim Johansson, a guy who uh, has been in his role since 2003, is the guy who is picking the management team. He's been working at USA Hockey for the last 13 years, They've won a couple world junior titles, but have had very little other success. And he's still the guy making these decisions. They need help, and they have a wealth of experience that they can tap into, uh, but they haven't done that for whatever reason.
1: Frank, thank you for the time. We'll catch up with you soon. Thank you, guys. There he is, Frank Saravelli. You can follow him on Twitter at frank underscore Saravelli. And uh, get all of the scoops from the World Cup of Hockey as it is going to be Team Europe against Team Canada in a best of three uh, for that tournament's championship. Crazy. Don't think we could have predicted that back at the start of this thing. Coming up after this traffic update from Rob Westgate, we're going to have the Guy Awards breaking down everything crazy that happened in the NFL over the weekend. Here is your traffic.
0: TSN 1150 is the home of the Hamilton Tiger Cats. With all the action at home and away for the 2016 season, taking on the best in the CFL. This Saturday at 4 p.m., the Hamilton Tiger Cats welcome the Calgary Stampeders to Tim Hortons Field. The black and gold live here on the home of the Hamilton Tiger Cats. TSN 1150 Hamilton. Jim Taddy and Marshall Ferguson. This is Taddy and Marsh on the Hall for Hamilton Sports. TSN 1150 Hamilton.
1: TSN 1150 Hamilton, home of the Bulldogs, Marauders, and Tiger Cats. Break down that Tiger Cats loss in Regina to a 2 in Saskatchewan Rough Riders team coming up shortly here on the program. But first... It is time for the Guy Awards. These are born out of our own yes guy, no guy sitting out there in Toronto tonight getting himself ready for the Maple Leafs pregame show, which begins at 6pm on TSN 1050 in Toronto. Jim Taddy,
2: let's begin, Jim, Yes wi- guy, wi- with your yes guy. My yes guy. Uh, I'm going to go with... Uh my Lions absolutely wasted it at halftime and making it a one-score loss. That's were, that's an absolute yes guy. You were angry at them earlier, though. I Well, I, it's a sarcastic yes guy. Oh. Yes guy has several meanings, and so you have to sort of pick up the tone. So, yeah, they lost to Green Bay 34-27, so that's a yes guy. Mm, okay,
1: mine's going to be Trevor Simeon. Uh, Rich Eisen tweeted yesterday, that sound you hear is Trevor Simeon taking off his Huggies. That was his first <laughs> win. Uh, d- dressing on the road At this point, when you've seen the way that he played, they're in a better situation with Trevor Simeon than they were with Peyton Manning, in my opinion, because he's younger, he's healthier, he's more mobile, and he's just as accurate. He can throw the ball further down the field because Peyton Manning was coming off of our favorite neck fusion surgery. So, I mean, yesterday he went 65% of his passes completed for four touchdowns, 312 yards, and a couple of important strikes in the second half. So he gets my yes guy. What's your no guy, Jim? Uh,
2: no guy. Hmm. Let me think about this. What's yours?
1: I got the Carolina Panthers and Cam Newton getting sacked eight times. Oh. Eight times for the Panthers. And the Panthers, they were going into a game at home this week where there was a lot of civil unrest. There had been the protests in the city recently. And the people, I mean, tonight's the 10-year anniversary of the Saints and the Falcons game in which Steve Gleason blocked the punt and gave life to the city of New Orleans. I don't think this is the same situation, but – you look to football and you look to sports to give you hope sometimes and to excite you and distract you from things. People of Carolina probably needed a distraction yesterday uh, based on everything that's going on in Charlotte and the surrounding area. And the Panthers just flat out did not give that to them whatsoever. It was a bad performance and – Quite honestly, I don't think Minnesota is as good as they showed yesterday. I don't think Carolina is as bad as they showed, but really they're meeting somewhere in the middle there, and that's not a good thing for the Panthers. So they're my no guy.
2: My no guy is going to be Ryan Fitzpatrick with the six interceptions. That's an absolute no guy. Mm. Yeah, that's like I said,
1: it's tough to do that. Even if, like
2: You can't even throw six interceptions in a
1: video game if you tried to. I could hear Coach Ken Austin now. You have to try to do that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if that's a bit of a reach. Uh, yeah. All right, what's your oh really guy? Mine is Case Keenum. Where oh. where did that come from? Like they, they don't throw a touchdown in their first two games. And you're thinking, okay, well, this is going to be the Rams all year. They're not exciting, and it's kind of a lackluster return. Did he complete a lot of his passes? No, 53% yesterday at the Bucs. Did he complete for a lot of yards? No, 190. He had two touchdowns and one interception. Like These are not great statistics. But to be the quarterback of an offense that can't score, gets shut out on Monday Night Football in your first game being in Los Angeles— and then to throw
2: out 37 against the Buccaneers, like that to me was just, really? Yeah, my O'Reilly guy would be the Broncos and the Patriots both being 3-0. and That's mm. a definite O'Reilly guy. That's an interesting one because that's the AFC Championship game from
1: last year. It, how amazing would that be if you got a storyline of Tom Brady against Trevor Simeon? in an AFC Championship game this year. I'd look forward to that. Well, maybe they bench Brady. Oh, uh, yeah, they could. <laughs> for
2: For which of the quarterbacks? Just pick one. It doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> That's true. Uh, all right, what is your absolutely guy? Absolutely guy. Hmm, you're you're going to have to go first in this, yeah, but yeah, I'm no going to come up with one.
1: No worries. Uh, mine is going to be LaShawn McCoy, uh, because this is exactly what they brought him in to do. Yesterday, against the Cardinals, 17 attempts, 110 yards, has three catches out of the backfield as well. Has two touchdowns. If you are the Buffalo Bills, you have to be able to run the ball based on where you play, the teams you play against, controlling the clock, all of that, your defense. If you're going to play Rex Ball, you got to be able to run. So absolutely, Guy, being able to run the ball and be efficient with
2: LaShawn McCoy. Uh, my absolutely, Guy, would be the Norman Beckham matchup. That was Absolutely thrilling. So mm-hmm. I'm going to say absolutely, guy, to that. That's that's just a classic one-on-one battle. You know what I I disliked, and I'll, I might as well just get to this one right now. Our sure guy.
1: Uh, I want to bring up next. My sure guy is the refs talking to Odell and Josh Norman before the game. Yeah, that's kind of cheesy, they, they, isn't they, it? Yeah, like they got set up for the cameras where they're talking to them and three officials are standing in front of Josh Norman and asking him to you know, not make a mockery of the game and don't let this become what last year was. Guys, it's it's not about talking to the players before the game. It's about making the calls last year. And I understand it's not the same officiating crew, but making the calls last year so that these players know that that is not acceptable to act the way they did last year at that point. So don't go walking in, you know, showing off your badge and your gun and going, hey, this is the way things are going to be today. You could have done that last year by setting a tone in the moment in that game between the Giants
2: and Carolina. So they tried to resurrect that, I guess, yesterday by talking to them, but it just looks silly. Yeah, so a sure guy. Yeah, Matthew Stafford, uh, 24-48, 385 yards, three touchdowns. Yeah, sure guy. Lions, lions Whatever, yeah, whatever. Well, (laughs) they they just upset me greatly. They toy with you. Well, no, not anymore. I know it's coming. Oh,
1: nice. Uh, (laughs) Oh, no, guy. Mine, Ryan Fitzmagic. I know you already mentioned him, but, man, I I wasn't even watching that game. I didn't check out that game for one second. I just read the stats, the storylines, the tweets. I saw some of the highlights, the lowlights. Oh, no, guy.
2: Yeah, my oh-no guy's going to be the Arizona Cardinals. Oh, no. Nice field goal attempt. (laughs) <laughs> wow <laughs> the snap over the head return for the touchdown Carson and Palmer was 26 of 50 he threw- 50
1: passes I mean that maybe that should have been our oh no guy it's just the fact that the Cardinals so, they yeah. feel the need to give 50 attempts to Carson Palmer no offense and I, I say this begrudgingly because I do love watching games that have this I've watched Oregon Washington State there's certain teams with certain coaches that sling the ball more than anyone and I think it's fun because it's just different but no NFL offense should ever ask to throw the ball 50 times unless the game goes to double overtime or something. Like, that's not something that you need to do in an average game plan. Just find balance in some way. Yes, guy. I agree. All right. Uh, let's move on here. Whatever, guy. Whatever, guy. Hmm. I'm going to go with Jalen Ramsey, defensive back drafted this year to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, after the game, Steve Smith Sr., Came up to him from Baltimore and and talked a little bit of trash to him and said, hey, you're a young man and and you couldn't deal with me all day and all that. Jalen Ramsey doesn't say anything to him, walks back into the locker room and then decides to get into it with the media saying, well, Steve Smith came up to me because I got
2: inside his head. He didn't get inside my head. It's like, whatever, guy. None of it matters. Uh yeah, Brock Osweiler, twenty of twenty four of forty one, hundred and ninety six yards in interception as the Texans get smoked by the Patriots twenty seven to nothing. That's my whatever guy. Oh yeah. He just he, he looked terrible. The guy, games on guy. And I talked to you on Friday about the fact that he walked off
1: the field and he looked like yeah. he had just gone to Wonderland for a weekend with his friends and family. Like he was just he looked completely unfazed by yeah. what had happened.
2: Save the remorse for when the reporters come
1: around. <laughs> uh what is your wow guy? Mine, pretty simple. I'm not going to explain this one. Carson Wentz. Ooh, wow yeah. guy. Wow.
2: Okay. Um, and who am I gonna go with? I'm gonna go with. Uh, oh boy. I'm got. I got a block here because I'm a little pressed for time. Uh, oh boy. That's just sad. Isn't it? <laughs> that's
1: just sad. That's okay. I'll move on to the next one here. I know you got the Leafs coming up in five minutes. So yeah. I'm um, starting getting
2: a brain cramp.
1: No, it's okay. Uh oh, guy. Uh, is one that I threw in today. I don't even know if you've ever said "Uh uh-oh guy, but I just created it. Um, uh Uh-oh guy. "Uh Uh-oh guy. This might be somebody who's on the hot seat. My pick is John Fox in Chicago, not because of the way the team is playing. I know his starting quarterback's out with injury, but the reason I give him my "Uh uh-oh guy award is that the Bears are on primetime television two more times in the next three weeks, and if you're going to be a bad team, the last place you want to be as the head coach is on national television for everybody to know that you're a bad team.
2: Yeah, uh, I want to go back to the other category. What was it? Wow guy. Oh, wow guy. That's Prescott, definitely. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, he had a good day. So my uh uh-oh guy would be the the Chicago Bears who absolutely suck. They're going nowhere. (laughs) I agree with that. All they're going to do is prop up my Lions.
1: Uh, Not this guy. Last one. Oh. Not this guy. Not
2: this. I... Go with yours. All okay, right. I'm getting...
1: Not this guy for me is the Browns kicker. I didn't even bother to learn his name. I watched that game at the end. I predicted the Browns would win on the road in Miami. I was all excited to come in today and act smart. And they say, yeah, the uh, the kicker uh, got a strained quad Friday morning. And so they picked this guy up. They flew him in Friday night. He met the team Saturday morning. And here he is to win the game and wide left. Yeah. Yeah. I so. gonna, I'm going to have to say ditto. I got, I'm pressed for time. That's okay. you got leaf stuff coming up. We'll yep. let you go, Jim. Thank you. We'll catch up with you back in studio tomorrow, okay? Yep, see you tomorrow. Awesome. There he is, Jim Taddy, holding it down again. He's on TSN 1050 with the Leafs coverage. Louis B and I are here, holding it down until the uh, 7 o'clock hour, until the dinner, dinner bell rings. What are you eating there, Louis? You got a little yogurt? Oh, a little peach, a little apricot. All right, Louis fueling up for the final hour of the show. I'll do the same here while we listen to Rob Westgate with your traffic update.